Welcome to the Communicate for Good podcast, where leaders on a mission to make the world a better place come to talk and learn about how communication, language, and words can help increase awareness, revenue, and impact with less stress and more joy. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and I'm so excited you're here with me. Let's dive right in. Welcome back or welcome to the Communicate for Good podcast. Today, I have with me a very special guest, Mark A. Pittman. I'm going to read Mark's bio. We're going to start there and then invite Mark to, you know, offer us the color commentary version. Um, But first, welcome to the show, Mark. It's so nice to have you here. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so here we go. So Mark has been leading organizations and teams for decades. He's, his failures and successes have caused him to study leadership for over 30 years, including an, earning a master's in organizational leadership and certification as a Franklin Covey coach, combining Covey, 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 Covey right? Yeah. I said that yeah. wrong. Okay. Okay. Franklin Covey coach, combining his ongoing education with his own experience. Mark helps leaders lead their teams with more effectiveness and less stress. Love that. His latest book, which we are definitely going to be talking about is the surprising gift of doubt. Use uncertainty to become the exceptional leader you were meant to be. He's also the author of Ask Without Fear, which has been translated into Dutch, Polish, Spanish, and Mandarin. He's also the executive director of the nonprofitacademy.com and a former advisory panel member of Rogare. Rogare, yeah. Rogare. I'm just messing up all the words. It's fine. Let's appreciate the irony, (laughs) which is a prestigious international fundraising think tank. Some of his clients um, have included the main public broadcasting system or just main public broadcasting. A, they've changed the name. It was main public broadcasting network. And then they went to main public because it was. Oh, I was like, it feels like something. There's a word. missing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Georgetown University in defense of animals, Habitat for Humanity, Shabbat on campus, Islamic Relief USA and the Association of the U.S. Army. He is the husband to his best friend. I just had to include that because that's just. That's it's sweet. true. 28 years we met, uh, 28 years ago uh, this month at the time of this recording. Yeah. And the father of three amazing kids. Yes, they are. That and is... they'll always be my kids, even though they're all young adults. I know. I know. I still refer to my teenagers as my babies. They're like, we're not. And I'm like, you are to me. <laughs> <laughs> you are to me. I don't care if you're taller than me, which you totally are. Okay. So Mark. Yes. Again, welcome to the show. This is it's totally delightful to have you here. What's the color commentary version? Because when we first met, you know, like my mind share was Mark Pittman fundraising. Yep. And you've really transitioned. I don't know that you've let that go entirely, but really into leadership, um, probably at the intersection or something. But share with listeners like the color commentary. Here's the deal version of where you are today and how you got there. Well, I was born at a young age, and my parents' names were mom and dad. So, um, so I won't go back that far, but it does kind of start there. So that it's interesting when we met, um, and for the first 15 of the 20 years of my coaching practice, I was fundraisingcoach.com. I still am, still do that. I still love, 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 love nonprofits. And I love, I just think asking for money is the best gig in the world. So I can't understand why people wouldn't want to do that. So I love coaching one-on-one executive directors, how to do that and teams. I just finished a full day training of teams on doing that. What I noticed though, and I probably should have availed of your services earlier is that branding can be defining and it can be constricting. 
and it is constricting in some ways if you're niching. So when I was brand, when I was doing starting my coaching practice, we were told we had to niche, riches in the niches, that kind of thing. And um, so funders okay, and coaches, I have never heard that expression. Oh, you in haven't? All my years of branding and all my Yay! years of like pick your name, have a niche. Okay. Yep. So it's and it was interesting because I was on an exploring coaching call for or exploring certification call for Franklin Covey. And I registered back in 2002, maybe 2003. No, it was 2002 because the class was in 2003. I registered the domain name fundraisingcoach.com. It wasn't taken. And it just seemed obvious to me that you should get the real estate that you want your business to be built on. So why not get it? Um, And so at the end of the call, the person who became my mentor coach said, you know, you took action. So I know whatever program, there's a lot of good certification programs, wherever you go, you're going to you're actually going to do this because you take action. And that just felt like I just didn't understand why people wouldn't. So the the constricting part was um, the I went from the, I wrote a book for board members, Ask Without Fear, and I was getting board members and CEOs who make the budget saying, hey, we want Pittman to come in. We're going to make it happen. And then I started blogging and all about fundraising, not leadership, because it was always about leadership to me. It's always been about leadership, about What's the biggest problem nonprofit leaders have? It's it tends to be that they didn't get into this to raise money. That that is always the problem. They wanted to fix a problem, and then there's this pesky thing like paying bills that has to happen. So, but I was talking about fundraising, 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 and so I started going to this down the slide of getting people that were kept saying, "Well, we want you, Mark, but we can't afford you." So I had gone from the budget makers to the budget spenders. I had a coach come in about ten years ago and said, "There's nothing on your site that says leadership." Oh, it was in my mindset, but it was I wasn't explicit about it. Uh, and my friend Hilde Gottlieb also said, Mark, when we go to Amazon, you have a lot of books and they're all leadership. I mean, they're all fundraising and nonprofit. There's nothing about leaders. So the short uh, to to bring this to this section to a close, this section of our conversation is that I, w- I was raised in a family that had me studying leadership as a teenager. My parents got into a multi-level marketing program that um was you you know eat the chicken spit out the bones on that but one of the things that was really helpful for them is they learned to set goals they learned about vision they learned about intentionality of their communication they learned about um positive mental attitudes and choosing words and it resonated with some of the style that they had been living but it wasn't anything that they had actually been taught before so they started figuring out why aren't we being taught this too um and so i had schoolwork because i was in school and i had schoolwork because i was a pitman so I had to read positive mental attitude books, Dick Tracy, Florence Littauer, Zig Ziglar, and I also had to listen to the motivational speakers. Um, so I remember at, that was around 14, 13, 14. At 16, I made a commitment to never live with just one income. I always wanted to have multiple streams of income at 16. Um, and I'd always known that leadership and uh, impacting and influencing others was the way I was going to do that. So my whole like whether I was in school, whether I was in in college, my merit scholarship was to get a lower grade because I was studying leadership. So there was like most of the scholarships where you had to get a certain great GPA. Mine was lower because they were requiring us to be leading organizations and building a culture on campus. Um, And they knew that that would take time. So there's, yeah. So I've had a decades, literally decades of doing this. And, um, most of us, you know, when you're, you can't read the label when you're in the jar, you just forget to talk about the stuff that you really are. Um, and so that's where, for a lot of people, it seemed like a transition from fundraising coach to conquer leadership group from fundraising to leadership. Um, but for me, it's always been about leaders. And in, to Emily's, my wife's credit in 2003, when I niched, her irritation was, 
people are going to miss that. You're a mission, vision, values guy. You're about helping people discover and articulate and live out their purpose, not about just asking for money. And people are going to miss that. And she was right. But she understands too, the riches are in the niche. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they're not mutually Not one of many. They're not one. They're definitely not. uh, I was going to get to this quote a little later. um, It's from one of the quotes from the book, which is becoming a leader is synonymous with becoming yourself. It's precisely that simple. And it's also that difficult, which is Warren Bennis. And it sounds like you, you lived this. Yeah. It's so true. And Mm -hmm. even more so to the point where I am now um, the last year or so certifying coaches. So Mm -hmm. one of the things in 2003, I don't know if your experience is this, but um, so much of entrepreneurialism is the cobbler's kids not wearing shoes. Oh, 100%. Like our websites aren't usually the best. Our clients' websites are awesome, but ours are, we're getting to that. Um, Not yours. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying ours in general. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's very much. So, I'm happy um, with mine presently, but that's because after two years, we just <laughs> launched, you know, a few months ago, we launched, launched a new one. And no, no, I think this is absolutely accurate. So in 2003, I became fundraisingcoach.com, set out my, you know, I got certified by Franklin Covey. Um, in 2004, I wrote out my business plan. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. maybe I should uh-huh. do something about this. And one of the things right. I wanted to do was be a certifier of coaches because this, mm-hmm. the only coaches that seemed to be making the most money as coaches in 2003 were coaches, coaching coaches, had to have a coaching practice. Mm-hmm. They never had a coaching practice. All their their only practice was coaching coaches how to have coaching practices. And I thought I want to have that sounded like a Ponzi scheme. So I was like, I want to have, I want to have a business that people are asking me about and asking me how did you build your business. Um, and then I so I set all these bars that would be barriers that would be like ah that's not going to happen. And in 2012, I had 111 fundraising coaches ask me to teach them as a keynote wow. speaker over a course of two days how to do fundraising coaching. That was their their job was wow. helping people develop their own ministry support, and they asked me to teach how I did it. Um, and on the way back, I realized, oh, that was the last, like last barrier I put up. So it still took me about eight years to to cre- create this yeah, program. Yeah, it's, it's so still... the certification. I don't have a formal certification program, but I definitely oh. coach coaches who who are in corollary. So they do strategic planning or they do fundraising. And they want to get better at communication and message. Yeah. And and I don't know if you find this, but I feel like that part of fully becoming myself and fully becoming ourselves, it's the, um, for my wife and I, there's a, we've come, uh, you know, almost 30 years of knowing each other. There's that, there's one of the things that is like a happy trigger for us is the, could that really be like, that seems like too much fun. Could we really be doing that? That to us is one of those clues that, okay, this is part of, this is where our joy meets the world's need and we need to move forward. I think that's a big quote. I love that, Mark. So you were just saying before we hopped uh, onto the official oh, part great, of our podcast, yeah. oh. um, how much fun <laughs> you had launching your new book, The Surprising yeah. Gift of Doubt. So before we fully dive in, I have two things. When I really want to commend you for including, you have a note on privilege. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Will you just will you share what that is with readers who I mean, I would call it a positionality statement, a note on okay. privilege is uh, you know, just that's another term for it if if listeners are familiar with that. I so appreciated you including it. Will you will you just share a bit about that? Sure. A lot of part of it is uh my master's in organizational leadership. I was just listening to a, a, a forgetting his name right now. I'm sorry, but it was an associate professor at St. Louis University who said that so much of 20th century leadership. These are what good leaders do was basically they're white men 
<laughs> they're confident, they're bombastic, they're clear, they're con- you know, they're moving forward. And it was basically the general in a World War II or a John Wayne type character that wasn't good leadership. It was just a model of leadership. And um, as I've grown as a white man who's benefited from centuries of systemic systemic privilege, like things are, I don't have to, I walked into a room here in Greenville, South Carolina. We moved to the South because we'd never lived here before. And we wanted to find a different culture and see our kids experience that with us in the house so that we could all work together on what's us, what's not us, what, you know, how do we acclimate? What do we choose not to acclimate to? Walked into a room and I um, I noticed that the white guy that was speaking on stage, everybody quoted the rest of the day. And it was a, a program on diversity. But the African-American woman who had been working at a global company said amazing things. People didn't reference her. And it was all all races. It wasn't just a white thing. But it was, be- and I asked him afterwards, and he said, Mark, we've benefited from not having to earn the right in the room, to the right to speak in the room. And so that's when I started I started realizing some of the things that I took for granted isn't everybody's lived experience. So in this book, and then it, I also read this podcast or listened to this podcast called By the Book, where these two women live self-help books for two weeks at a time. And they live by the book. Um, and if you start at the beginning, go all the way through there, like in season 10 now or something, but it's hilarious. And it's just, you know, again, it's not for everyone. It's definitely not safe for work, but it's a lot of fun. And um, what one of the things that they mentioned was most productivity books. And it was right at the time of writing this. Like, I felt like I finally had my, this is my a, a part of my life's work. This is really good. And they pointed out a Goodreads study that showed most of the books that are written on time management and leadership are written by white men and read by women. Um, and so there's this big gap, like you'll read, oh, you have to have the most amazing morning. So you have to take all this time in the morning to center yourself and do all these things and write all these things. And they're saying, yeah, but I got laundry and kids. Like I've got other things I have to do. Lunches have to get out because if the lunches don't get out, then they don't eat. And, um, so I realized I wanted this to be as open to as diverse an audience as I thought. So I, um, invited to hire 12 editors and I say it that way because most of them volunteered. Um, but I said, you all live in either a different lived experience or a different orientation of life than me. And I want, you know, just read it and point out my blind spots, please, because those, nobody needs to get those. Um, and it was shot. It was wonderfully shocking. First of all, how affirming that whole process was, um, just to be like, I'm not, I've got something to share, but I'm not the center. Um, and to have people like I had one person from, uh, the Lumbee tribe up here in North Carolina, um, Lumbee nation, um, just really work with me on some of my cultural references because as another person said, Mark, you're, it's basically your pop culture references. You've done a good job with the book. The pop culture references that you use to kind of really articulate some of the points just show that you're, you're an old white dude. Um, <laughs> what? A, I mean, talk about a gift. Huge gift because that could have been an Amazon review. Of- <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it could have been like, why is he stuck in the eighties or, or I just missing it. It would have been yeah. something that people would have completely missed. And so this, so he pointed that out. And this woman uh, in the Lumbee tribe nation, sorry, um, would also just w- walk through a bunch of different cultural references. And we kind of, I was just shocked and pr- just privileged and astounded and proud of how much time she gave. Um, but we figured out ones that weren't reaching, like that were real, not reaching. Cause up, smoke signals is a, I guess a movie that's really very funny and good, uh, for, for P- indigenous Americans, but it was not something I had lived experience. And so yeah. it would have been not authentic. Well, I appreciated you including, and it's early on, you know, it's not like in the back. Yeah. So if like anybody missed- hasn't read the book, it's the, the, before you get into the book, it's, Hey, this is where my lived experience I get this. I get I have blind spots. This is what I've done to make it so that those blind spots aren't inflicted on you. And so this is probably more accessible to you. 
I appreciate that. I mean, I, uh, it's, it is true. Um, no, it's fun. Two things have fun about this. Uh, one thing is other authors have started doing it, but they are like, Mark, how'd you do that? And it's a much better work because of the the brilliance yeah. of these dozen oh, people. Yeah. The other thing is they and the endorsers came back to me and said and some of them became the endorsers because they said they read the book and they're they were looking for flaws or faults. And they said, here's some things that we might suggest you work on. But you know, that thing you said on page 62. That's really changed my life. Or that page thing on page 84. So it's the first book I've read where people not only shared their thoughts about it, but also then were like, and you won't believe how this rang true to me. Wow. <laughs> it's really, really, really different, cool. Differently invested. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I want to make sure that we get in to people. Yeah, like, let's talk, let's What's the talk framework? about <laughs> doubt. Let's actually talk about doubt, shall we? So, you know, me, listeners know me. Of course, I'm going to look up where the word doubt came from because I love me some etymology. All I'm right. Start there. Um, and surprisingly, not surprisingly, I guess, uh, it it originally meant to dread, fear, be afraid of a sense now of obsolete from old French, um, doubt, be doubtful, be afraid again, that, but you know, free zone of fear to doubt, question, hesitate, waver an opinion. This is how we get to dubious. Uh, etymologically speaking. I thought that was interesting. And then from duo, meaning two, so with a sense of of two minds, undecided between two things. So not fear, but of two minds, which, um, so I just, I think it's interesting. Do you know it, that I, Concord, the reason I chose Concord Leadership Group is because it's of one heart. And oh. so most of the people come to me as two minds or two beings and they're split and yeah, it's the integration, integration, the Concord, the, the of one heart, of one being. So I didn't realize that that's brilliant. Yeah, that's cool. This is why this is why I like looking at the history of words. So, and think about that. Do doubt, um, dread, yeah. self doubt, yeah, self doubt, fear. Well, but it could be dread of self. Like what yeah, we were talking about uh, before, yeah. leadership is yeah. becoming fully yourself. Sometimes yeah. we're really afraid that's of scary. if people really see us, are that's they going to so still scary. like us? You know, yeah. and it's not scary for your for for. I just want to make a distinction for listeners. It is, and this is duality: your subconscious and conscious mind. It you might not consciously be like, no, no, no. Right. Consciously, you're like, but I want to step in and step up and do the thingy dingy. And so it's sort of mystifying when you're like, wait, why? Why am I not doing that? Why am I feeling fear? Which you know is the exact inner brain fear and excitement, two sides of the same coin. Just to stick with the duality mode. So how did you turn something, reframe it, something that kind of has this fear-based element to it into something like, what's the gift? What's the surprising gift of doubt? So anybody that's um, doing the, they're, they're running their own business or entrepreneurs or they're, they're working with others, trying with their team, sometimes a picture can help. Um, explain the concept. And for about 15 years of my 20 years of, of executive coaching, I would say, what, you know, what do you do? I'm an executive coach. And people would look at me and say, okay. And then you'd see them turn away. And they're like this weird look of what the heck is that on their, would come on their face. And then they'd come back to me. Some of them would say, so what does that mean? Um, and I never had a good answer. So I figured it, I was working with my friend, Neen James, who just, I said, let's get a picture. So I put a picture of what I do. And then I realized this is good. And that's what it, quadrant three leadership, that's the Venn diagram of that. But people aren't ready for this. So where are people, what's the journey people are on in my experience of coaching executives and, and CEOs and founders? And that's where it was, usually it gets to a point where we're at this place of doubt. And um, what I have, what I found is that the doubt, you, our, our culture really gets us to think about what's lacking, what's wrong, what's missing. And that can be helpful. 
scarcity. Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah. So that is a perspective, and there's it's not necessarily a wrong perspective. There are things that are missing. We're all limited beings. Um, and and the other, but the the alternative that I've offered in coaching, and I think other coaches do too, but I, I saw in my experience was instead of just saying, what if what if you're broken? Asking, what if I'm uniquely suited for this position? What if I'm exactly the right fit? And what if our team or organization is the voice the sector needs? So it's that it's the doubt pushes us so much. We get so filled up. Many people don't even, they have entire careers filled with doubt, lurching from success to success. People totally believing in their them because they have this trail of accomplishments, but everybody else, but they internally are saying, don't, you know, the wizard of Oz, don't look at the man behind the curtain because, you know, don't find who I am. Yeah, exactly. I really am just making this up as I go along, but people think I haven't figured out. Yeah. I I asked my dad that about five years ago or before our kids moved out, I called my dad up and didn't introduce who I was or anything. I said, were you just making it up as you went along? (laughs) There was a pause and he started cracking up. He's like, yeah, what do you, when did you figure that out? Well, it was 45 years old for me that I realized my dad was just doing what I was doing in my lived experience, doing the best he could with what he had, trying to be the dad, you know, the parent and the, you know, the, at work. I mean, we're all sort of doing that, but we um, are socialized to believe that that is not true for other people. Well, part of it is because we don't, we're afraid, we don't talk about our doubts because yeah. we're afraid of those. Yeah. And well, so, fear. yeah, the fear holds us to, and it's not safe. To no, be honest, I mean, to be truthful, there are people that are gunning for our positions. There are people that are trying to take pot shots at us. Some people, some people measure their own success by demeaning others. So it's just, we learn not, it's not safe. And unfortunately we interpret everybody else's not talking about fear as they, they have it figured out. They know exactly what they're doing. Um, and it's not true. Cause if you get in a room, uh, we've had rooms of people that are in their executive director or CEO position for the like three to five years. None of them know what they're doing, but they're all at a point that they're doing it with a higher level of competency than they were the first year. Um, and so that it's interesting where if you get people that are peers and they feel there's a safe space, you open that safe space. You have to have the safe, the psychological safety. You know, one of my favorite things to do with groups is um, like with, when I work with teams is to have them go around and just sort of pair up and share three words they would use to describe the person that they're looking at. Before we do that, I have each individual write down the three words they would use to describe themselves. Wow. Yeah, it's powerful. There's a lot of tears, not uncommon, um, that happen because, of course, you know, you can guess, Mark, they're pr- we're so much more critical of ourselves. Okay, that's what I was assuming that there would be, yeah. So much more critical. So they just hear all this beautiful positivity. And I do it even with, with in, like, if you don't know the other person, it's like, What's your perception, which is, yeah. you know, sort of a d- different thing. It, wor- that, it works a little differently when that's the case, but I do it because of this, right? And and then that's we can so walk good. in and then we can invite, you know, sort of different discussions and um, about their leadership and from my world, how you use language and communication to, to live into that. So one of the tools, I don't know uh, where the flo- where you want to take the conversation, but one of the tools that I share is Jessica Sharp's tool of, and I don't know if she, I heard her articulate it in a way that stuck with me. I'm, it could come from other places too, but the idea of uh, she invites her clients to capture their self-talk non-judgmentally uh-huh, in a pad uh-huh. of paper. One of my most recent episodes is the secret life of self-talk. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And that was, um, 
the self-talk is stuff that my parents, one of the books that a few of the books that I had to read is growing up were on self-talk. So I have often been reframing my self-talk and that's been something that's been a, a familial conversation from my family of origin, but she invites her clients to do that non-judgmentally for a day or a few days or a week, and then look at the legal pad and read it and ask themselves, would you talk to a friend this way? And if the answer is no, then why not try being a better friend to yourself? Shocking. It's just, we self-sabotage and we don't even do it. We, it's, oh, it's, ugh. I mean, I've done that work and it's, um, and I do that work in my one-on-one coaching because it's, it's not only like that, that that's not kind. It, it will, you know, <laughs> no, that's not nice to you. It shows up in how you yes. show up. And also it doesn't have to be that way. No, well, that's but the you, other, that's you the have thing. to be, I think, brave enough to do yeah. that, to be like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, and to, and it takes that risk of a few times of, but I think it has to be this way because I'm not safe on my own. We yeah. get that sense growing up of yeah, we need yeah, constraints, we need something. Safe. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is your subconscious mind, which is running the show for the most part, yep. right? So um, I want to talk about and have you share about the system. I appreciate yeah. in the book because I, I totally, when you were like, I, you know, people asked and they wanted a system. And I was like, I don't have a system. It's not systematic. You know, leadership isn't system. So like there's this resistance. And then finally it's a you're like, resistance. I mean, this is how before I created the Claxon method, I was like, well, it's kind of like the what, what, um, well, it turns out it's really helpful to have methodologies and frameworks. And there, there can be, I actually think they create a lot of freedom yes. um, in the end. So you have a system. We both resisted. Now we have systems. And- well, I learned it from the first one with Ask Without Fear. I wanted to help people with their fundraising. And I knew that they always said, every nonprofit I've ever spoken to said, no, you don't understand. We're different. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just I like, had a call yesterday with a client. They're like, we're different. And I had to say, every <laughs> single client, you are special. And in some ways, just you like will everybody be different. Else. And then... And then there are these similarities. So let's 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 bring those into the equation. So I thought I would skip that part of the 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 relationship sure. process and just sure. jump to the you're different. Let's go. But they wanted to know I had a method to be able to tell me. But I'm glad you have a method. We're not going to use that because we're different. So I had to write Ask Without Fear, which was the four steps of fundraising, uh, so that they could get to oh, that point of the conversation. Yeah, it was fun. So, so you, the system your, here. your system is called the Leader's Journey. Yes. Yes, has four quadrants. What are the quadrants and where do leaders go astray? So this is where, um, you know, I don't know if you've had the experience of creating something and having your partner or spouse look at it and say, oh, where'd you find this? And you say, well, I I actually created Created it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Where'd you Google it? Um, That This was (laughs) it for me. Um, My wife looked at this and said, this isn't just a leader's journey. This is a learning journey. So the um, if you're not driving, you could put a vertical line on the, it's a four quadrant method. So put a vertical line, that's your confidence, high confidence at the top, unsure at the bottom. And the horizontal line is the inputs, whether you get your external inputs on one side and internal on the other. Um, most of us don't have a map for leadership. So we just kind of start when people point it, put us in a position of authority, we're either confident because we, <laughs> we knew we already had it. Finally, somebody else sees that. Or we um, are confident because at least we don't believe it, but at least they do. And so we're going to trust in their confidence. And so what we do in quadrant one is we start copying what we've seen done. We've seen leaders, we've seen parents, we've seen bosses, we've seen managers, we we do what we've seen them do. Can we just pause here because we've talked yeah. about positionality and sort of, not, we haven't used this term, but white dominant culture yeah. for people of color, marginalized communities. Like you could be looking right? around because, you know, you don't see someone who looks like you. And so Isn't I just that, think it's yeah. really important 
like if that's where you're at and you're looking around, you may not find someone who looks like you and um, stall out there on the journey. That, and that is huge. Yeah. That's why why yeah. representation is so important. so important. Yeah, that's so yeah. good. When, when the motivational speakers I used to listen to growing up would say, if you're a leader and you turn around and there's no one behind you, you're just out for a walk. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> that's great. so that's when your confidence just kind of drops because it, the atypical would be the introvert leader following an extrovert leader. She did everything by, you know, ha- being happy and full of energy and and laughing and, call, you know, being around people, glad handing, no, you know, got rid of all the barriers and all the offices. We just had a big open workroom. Um, for an introvert, that would be incredibly debilitating and draining. And they may be able to be social and all, of course, but that's not energizing for them. And so that that could also drop their their confidence. It could also just be forced when you're trying to be somebody else, you're not being yourself. There's a play acting part of it that just doesn't doesn't resonate. So you move into quadrant two, which is the experiment quadrant. You figure out, I have an issue, I have problems, and I need to fill those problems. So it could be time management, it could be leadership, it could be building vision, it could be anything. So, and we have podcasts, webinars, degrees, certifications, all sorts of good tools to help with that. But that's where most people live their life. They're bouncing around, like I said before, bouncing around, lurching from success to success, but never, never seeing or their brilliance and mostly seeing their deficits. It's even like, you know, getting a 9200 potassium and having your parents say, where's the other eight points? You know, um, so that's, and that's just ingrained to us in society. The, some people make the bridge either with help or without help on their, just on their own of getting fed up with feeling so much doubt. I'm so sick and tired of just feeling like I don't fit and I don't belong. So what's different about me? And that's when you start listening to the stuff that we've been told not to listen to. And I know you're in tune with the internal cues, the the nudges, the senses, the intuitions. Um, and it's not yourself. That, yes. And it's not throwing out the baby yeah, with the bathwater. The externals are, are great. To, to, yeah, yeah. But we're not trained to truly trust ourselves. No, we're told we can't trust ourselves and we're told also, and that's there are entire systems and, and ideologies that are, I come from a, I'm very proudly from a Christian faith tr- tradition, but much of the church is, is right. built on, you can't trust yourself. And yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, and no. there's actually like, well, we won't go into the systemic preservation that happens because of that, just feeding yeah. into people's fear. I want to put a fine point on this for women who are listening mm. uh, the number women's intuition, is that your women's intuition? Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh man. I have some very, i not say for work words that are coming to mind right now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's about boldness because it's good. I mean, the, so what, that's what it, like, the, that's like millennia. Yeah. Proceeding. Yeah. Misogyny. And then your lived experience, like your gut has a gajillion more uh, data points. It's, it is literally, literally data. Yeah. So much so, more than your brain. I remember talking to my our friend uh, Chris Davenport years ago. Yeah. I was talking, and I was I was feeling at this place in my business a few years ago where I felt like I was still flying by the seat of my pants, and I was just running by my gut. Because there are sometimes where I will do a certain goal setting methodology, and then there are seasons where I won't, and there are seasons where I'll have a structured stay, and there are seasons where I'll be a little bit more leaf on the wind sort of thing. Um, and I felt like that was a failure of mine. There was something wrong with that. And I was just about, I said, you know, I was just thinking all week, beating myself up for, I just, I'm still just kind of running my business by my gut. And then I, something hit me. I've been educating my gut since I was 16 years old, telling myself I want to live on multiple streams of income. 
this isn't this is an educated guy. This is 30 years of of at that point, 30 years of leadership and goal setting. And maybe it's okay that I'm doing this. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't realize, but that was it was pre this formula, but I was moving into the intuition research, the bench we're told benchmarks and don't leave it. I was trained on your thoughts are the engine, yeah. your mm-hmm. your feelings are the caboose of the train. Just wherever your thoughts go, your feelings will catch up. Well, that doesn't last. There's benefit. There's some. There's something to get from that, maybe. But our emotions can be telling us so much, and it's like that book, "Our Body Holds the Clues" or "Our Body Tells the Story." Or you know, there's yes. so much somatic stuff yeah, that we need so to learn somatic. in the rest. So, so that's three analyzed, right? So, okay, one observe, two experiment, but just in the experimentation, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of doubt. Still in the uns- unsure phase or part of this. Um, diagram, then you might move into analyze. Right. And that's where you're still on the unsure, but you're starting to trust your internal stuff okay. and starting to figure out. Okay. You're building self-trust. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I have something to offer here. Maybe it's not just that I'm faulting. Maybe the systems are wrong or maybe, maybe there's another, there's a third alternative. Maybe there's other, you know, the inputs that are there. Maybe I get to add to the conversation instead of just mimic it. Um, where do they where, go from here? You learn all the different things about yourself. And as you learn that vocabulary of why you choose to do things differently, even though you know the externals, then your confidence goes back up. And that's quadrant four, which is the focus quadrant. And I hesitated to call it that, Erica. The first time I did the four quadrants, it was all F words. Uh-huh. Uh, that's funny to say it that way. But it was uh, <laughs> faking, fumbling, um, something, and focus, focusing. And I didn't think people wanted to be faking or fumbling. But the uh, the focus isn't that life is nirvana because we're still on planet earth with broken human beings like ourselves, but it's that I see there's a map here. And so I can look to see, do I need to copy somebody? Do I need to find a, a new mentor, somebody to learn from? Do I need to find a new program to learn from? Or do I need to figure out, I keep having friction when I do something. Maybe mm-hmm. it's something that I don't have to do. You um, know, what did jump out at me about it is yeah. one, two, three are verbs. Four is an adjective. Interesting. Right? You go from yeah. action, observe, experiment, analyze, to then describing the type of leader that you've become. Wow. Which is a I'm focus gonna, leader who trusts give you credit for the first times I say that. Because <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. a good observation. It's you know, a perspective thing, shift. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So that's the journey. That's where um, I think part of what we're, and I think we're living in an amazing time, Erica, where the the uh, people that are coming into the workplace are more asking the questions that tend more toward quadrant three. They still probably need to go through mm-hmm. quadrant one and two. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with going through those, but there's an openness and an appetite and a lack of uh, tolerance of kind of faking or hypocrisy. Right. If your values don't measure right. your day to day, people don't have time for that anymore. And I love mm-hmm. that. I think that's yeah, really forcing it. us to actually live out what we say we believe. This is, I, this is, I give a nod, not like us Gen Xers don't, you know, haven't contributed. Okay. However, I think it is a younger generations yeah. who are just like, absolutely not our past. I mean, the millennials and, and younger. Uh, Proud they just car- yeah. Car carrying Gen Xer, but we just figured yeah. out yeah, that's your game boomer, but we know how to, we'll just figure it, we'll duct tape it together and get there. We'll get it's there. It's okay. It's okay. We want to keep you yeah. comfortable. We're good. We're good. Yeah. 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 Don't worry. We won't rock the cart, but we're actually going to get stuff done. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're getting stuff done. So, I mean, I think this is very generational. Um, I love seeing this in my students, you know, this year I just, uh, cause I'm an associate teaching professor at University right. of Washington and I just 
um, took on a new role as faculty director for executive uh, master's in public administration nice. program. And so getting to work with, you know, another sort of mid-career um, students and it's, you know, it's fun in a totally different way. So now I've worked with, you know, everything from undergrads to master students, graduate students to the, to the executive um, students. And I have to say, reflecting back, like I have seen so many of my students and my clients, because I do a lot of leadership uh, work, walk this journey. So it's, it, it is really nice to have a diagram, a way to talk about it. I think, you know, naming, naming experiences is so important. Well, I and I hope, I mean, my hope is, is that yeah. people will see it and, and also have that. And then maybe if they're in the third quadrant, be inspired, you know, sort of um, emboldened. Yes. To move into the fourth. That's true. Uh, that's really good. I've seen it. This is one of the first times in my career of speaking where people, you feel the atmosphere change when uh -huh. everybody realizes, oh, this is okay. Or the stuff that got me this far doesn't have to be the, it's the, um, when you start learning about your hardwiring, some of the times we put up, we tell ourselves stories as a defense mm. against oh, whatever, yeah. against the world. And that serves us to a point, but then the armor we put on becomes mm. the, the prison yeah. for and us. It's heavy. It's really, and it's heavy. really heavy. And we get to take this off. And yeah. So in my corporate manifesto, I talk about the transition from caterpillar to butterfly. I really think that there's definitely a transformation that we can experience that will be that telling. We're still the same being. We're still the same person, but we don't want to go back. We're so thrilled. Yeah. And I think with that, you know, um, when I start working with clients, I say there's going to be a point where this is uncomfortable because this is about change. And so just be prepared. And that's different than, than progress. That's right? good. You can, you as humans, we create progress and resist change. Um, so if, but you're, also if you're it's committed it's, to change, there pain. is, yeah, it's going to be around uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Because people kind of get used to our they're, they like relying on our, whatever yeah. our defense mechanisms are or whatever. And when we start calling people to actually do their own work and have boundaries, like, no, I'm not going to be hundred percent available for you because I'm going to be doing some of my own professional development on work time because I'm a professional. So I do develop on work time. Um, those types of things really. <laughs> I'm a professional who's developing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm just over here developing. <laughs> It may look like I'm just sitting with my eyes closed, but it's development oh, no. and it's legit. And you don't need to judge me for that. It's a little easier to do if you can close a door that doesn't have yeah. a glass. I mean, on one it, of but... the things that I'm really passionate about right now is because, I mean, at least the people I'm talking to, the everyone's so short staffed. Like, we really, this is a historical moment. I'm like, support your people. Right. Double down on the people that are there. We have found consistently in the research I've Please. tried to do that the internal things of supporting your people actually helps drive the external revenue. Oh, and 100%. it's so counterintuitive. But I don't know why so that's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to me. <laughs> I'd be like, well, if you have happy, healthy, high performing, not high performing, you know, from a capitalist, you know, misogynistic point of view, but like high performing because they're like, this feels amazing. Yay me, because I have the support I need. So one of the things I'm just finding, I don't know if you're finding this with your clients, but one of the things that's coming up right now is that there are some leaders that are having problems with middle managers because middle managers don't want to overwhelm the people that they're leading. Mm -hmm. And so they're not calling them to do tasks. And what they don't understand, but the leaders that I coach are understanding and they're trying to help their middle managers is it's not the overwhelm doesn't necessarily come from a lot of work. It comes from a lot of busy work and meaningless work or and a, lot a of lack of work. 
an uncertainty. So if you can give them purpose and show them how this fits into a bigger plant picture, and then also, this is, I, I love doing this with coaching clients, is not just purpose for the organization, but you know your direct reports well enough to know what their life goals are. Because yep. if we're really honest, most people aren't going to be with us for life. Are so you... why are we living this lie? Why don't we just say what your chapter at this organization, yeah. we want you to be better positioned. I mean, my forward. purpose is to help other people unleash the power of words to make the world a better place for themselves and others. Yeah. Um, and once I got clear on that, um, you know, it's kind of exhilarating because then I can feel when I'm out of alignment with that. I had Akhtar Baksha oh. on the show a long time ago, but he wrote a book called The Purpose Mindset. And he has created this very simple, um, you know, we collaborate in a lot of things, but a really simple framework for coming up with your purpose. I, of mm. course, added in my own little flavor flav, which is you have to start with your verb. <laughs> you know, like write out the individual words. Don't try to start writing a sentence, which is how I develop mission, vision, values, purpose statements. Nice. You start with individual, you disaggregate. So individual parts of speech, and then you see how those fit together like puzzle pieces. Um, but that, if you're not familiar um, with the purpose mindset, it's it's sort of an evolution from um, growth mindset. That's awesome. And for anybody that's looking at something, the fact that Erica said it's simple means that it did a lot of work and refinement. Uh -huh. Most simple things take a lot. It's mm -hmm. very hard to be simple. It's I would have written you a shorter less. letter, but I didn't have the time. I was thinking that too. <laughs> okay. Who do you think, who do you attribute that quote to, Mark? Well, I was going to say Mark Twain, but I was always going to qualify it with attributed to Mark Twain. Because I, okay. I think Abraham Lincoln on his blog post said it was Mark Twain that said it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, Mark Twain was paraphrasing Blaise Pascal. Really? That's awesome. Fun fact. We're always learning on this show and in life. Awesome. Where can folks find you? I try to be ridiculously easy to find. Um, so if they Google Mark Pittman, uh, they should get me okay. even if they misspell my name. Uh, the best, the, the group of brands that I run is at Concord Leadership Group dot com c-o-n-c-r-d uh i love twitter i'm mark a pitman on twitter it looks like mark capitan but it's mark a pitman <laughs> mark with a c <laughs> <laughs> you know, i've never said it out loud but now that you said that out loud that's how it sounds in my head when i see your yeah. name <laughs> yeah so oh, i love that those are the two places i'm most at but at linkedin okay. if anybody can feel free to link in with me i'd love to expand my network okay you have given many gifts to the world over the course of your career including being on this podcast um, this book is a gift. There's so many nuggets. You really did such a beautiful job of making something that can feel overwhelming and complex, simple and accessible. I can't wait to see how many people feel like they can step into that fourth quadrant, know, know about the journey and mm -hmm. not have to feel shame and blame like, oh, I'm stuck in the what, what, to just know that that's part of the journey. And this is, so the, the last thing I'd love to say about that is yeah. it doesn't, you don't have to wait for somebody else's permission. Right. You can do this yourself. Yes. And even, and I've seen it in people with people that have no positional authority, because I think leadership is influencing others. And so we're all always influencing others. So I think you can, I know I've seen people do this without positional authority and start developing positional authority because they've done this. So could yeah. I offer something if people just want to get a taste? Absolutely. Okay. So I think called the values inventory. It's a mm -hmm. list of words. It might drive you nuts because it's different adjectives and adverbs and, and some gerunds in there too. But um, the if you go to concordleadershipgroup.com slash values, you can uh, get a, a free values inventory. And it's just, this, it's a very interesting the way you said that you start with verbs. It helps you if you start non-judgmentally just looking at what do you value, you can start making a lot better decisions a lot more quickly uh, because you know what, you're at least making decisions based on your values. But you know what has never struck me before just hearing you say that is I, I do start with verbs because they're the superheroes of every sentence because they're action words. But as I think about values, I've always thought about values as nouns. 
Um, but that's me editing. Like actually there would be a lot of, um, there would be a lot of value in someone being able to feel what they're drawn to. Like if you're drawn yes. to verbs, maybe that actually is a reflection of your values. Oh, I love that. That like mm. says something about, you know, that, that you value good, action. Yeah. If paying attention to what you're drawn to, whether it makes sense or not is hugely And not important. judging it, just observing. Yep. observing. Just observing. Yep. I had never thought of that, Mark. Thank you for that. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Listeners, that brings us to the end of yet another communicate for a good podcast. Thank thank you, Mark, for being here. Super amazing. Um, And thanks to all of you for listening. Do good, be well, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the communicate for good podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would right here, right now, go rate and review the podcast. Your review will help even more purpose-driven leaders, teams, and organizations learn how to use words to change the world. To find more ways that communication can help you increase awareness, revenue, and impact, head on over to www.claxon.communicationnos.com.